Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Data Centre Exchange. Uh, this is a podcast aiming to shine a light on the data centre and digital infrastructure industry. Now, today I wanted to explore culture a little bit more and take a deeper dive and build upon what we discussed in episode three. So the data centre industry has such high standards, and I genuinely believe that those businesses who thrive and who blaze a trail usually have such strong organisational culture, beliefs, values, and behaviours. Now, my guest today plays a huge part in defining and curating the culture at Compass Data Centers, one of the brightest stars in the data center development world. They, um, they've designed, built, and delivered over $5 billion of data centers worldwide. Now, I've known my guest today for a couple of years. I'm very proud to say that they're a client of ours, but during those conversations, I've really valued the insight and the conversations around all things culture. So she was one of the first people I reached out when the Data Center Exchange idea was born. And I'm very delighted to say that she agreed to come on. So without further ado, Anna Carlton from Compass, thank you very much for coming on. Oh, thank you, Del, for having me. This is such a treat. Excellent. Awesome. Now, what I'd like to do is start with all about you and your journey up until Compass Data Centers first, really, just to get your background and to give the listeners some insight about yourself. So if you can if you can do that for us, Anna, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. No problem. Um, so I guess at my very core, I studied industrial and organizational psychology. So for me, I've got this love affair with all things human behavior and, you know, kind of the psychology at work, if you will. So that's, that's really where my, uh, where my, my heart and my, my soul resides. But uh, my career has been an, an interesting one. I think most people have an interesting career story. I spent the better half of my first career in consulting. So everything from really large organizations like the Department of Defense to very small organizations like entrepreneurial startups, you know, the, the founder, one, two, three, four person companies. Um, and what I loved most about that was just the vast experience of seeing how people show up in these different environments. Um, the second half of my career was all in technology sector. So I spent uh, the better part of 10 or, or more years um, with SaaS tech companies. Most of those companies were high growth uh, organizations, software developers, things of that nature. Um, and I think in that time spent, that's really where I developed, um, you know, I, I don't know if it's if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but this love for that craziness of scale and being able to see something go from you know, an idea or a few people's thinking and seeing how it transforms into something that is, you know, uh, much broader and has a, has much bigger impact. So uh, that's where I spent most of my career. Um, been at Compass now for about two and a half years or so. This is my first foyer into the data center world. But there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of really neat overlaps from my previous, previous experiences until now. And um, personally, I love engineering. My father was an engineer, so I've got some deep roots and uh, that kind of engineering mindset. I like to say that uh, if I didn't choose the psychology and HR path, I probably would have chose engineering myself, except okay. I'm really good at taking things apart. Um, if you ask my husband, I'm not very good at putting them back together. So maybe I maybe I probably chose the right path. <laughs> Excellent. And, and as you say, you've been at Compass two and a half years, I think early 2021, I think Remember our conversation? I think it was February or March, just after you Jan joined. January, and, uh, first of the year. January, yeah. was it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, 
So why did you feel at that point Compass was a, a great move for you? What did you see in, in the opportunity and, and that move for your career? Yeah, you know, it was one of those situations where it caught me by surprise. Um, I was very happy in the, you know, the high-tech SaaS industry world. But what surprised me about Compass, and keep in mind, I didn't know much about the data center world at all. I mean, I was in technology, but um, I only knew data centers as, you know, colo providers for backup and, and storage and things of that nature. Um, what caught me by surprise with Compass, and maybe it's cliche, but 100% was they have a very different way of thinking about culture. And in the last 20 years of my career, as I've seen companies, um, all different shapes and sizes and makes and models, if you will, um, practice culture in different ways, I realized very, very early on talking with uh, Chris Crosby and Jared Day uh, about the Compass culture that this was a very unique opportunity and one that I knew was going to be very impactful for me and bring me a lot of joy to explore with them as they grew. Yeah, excellent, excellent. And so when did you first become like particularly interested in, in culture and the dynamics of, of, of an organization? What part of your career was that, would you say? This is a really neat question. Um, I, think it's, I think it's an interesting one to kind of reflect on when you first found your passion for something in life, right? Um, I would actually say for me, it was really early on in my life. Um, I was 12 years old, and this is not necessarily for organizational culture, uh, but I remember early on, um, so I, I grew up in a small town just south of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and the town that I grew up in, you know, it was a high school graduating class with 200 people. It was small, uh, particularly compared to Dallas, Texas, where I'm at now. And with, growing up in this area, a lot of the folks that I went to school with, that I socialized with were just like me. They looked like me, they talked like me, we ate the same foods. Um, you know, the, the, the biggest controversy was whether or not you went to the Polish Catholic Church or the Italian Catholic Church and who had the best fish fry on Fridays. I was, it was pretty uh, Americana, I think, in some ways. Um, but anyway, when I was 12, my father uh, took an assignment in Cairo, Egypt, and he was there for, uh, for about nine months or so. So that summer, my mom and I decided we were going to spend the summer with him in Cairo. Now, bear in mind, at this point, I had never been on an airplane, <laughs> let alone a flight that was going to take me from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Cairo. But I'll never forget that experience and how it's shaped me and and I think really kind of started this love affair with culture all things culture I remember getting off the plane and the first thing that I recognized that nothing looked the same you know all the signs were in Arabic I didn't understand them I heard people talking around me had no idea like couldn't understand even how they were articulating things smelled differently there were men with semi-automatic weapons you know ready to greet you to usher you through but one of the big lessons for me while I was out there was, and this was a, a, a tremendous blessing. There was a woman out there, her name was Natalie, and she was, her husband was working with my father and they were out there for the better part of the year. So she had this love for culture and she would ingrain herself with the locals, right? So she became our you know, impromptu tour guide for the next several weeks. And we had dinner with folks like the locals in their homes. We got to know their families. Um, we got to understand, 
you know, their religions and the things that they cared about. And what I, what I walked away with that experience was that while it felt so different when I first got there, I left realizing that we were all so much more similar than I had thought. And there was this concept that was being born in my head of, you know, what I thought was right for me um, is still true. That's, that's, there's still, you know, my own truth about things, but someone could have something that looks so different and it still can be their truth and the thing that is right for them. And, and from there, I think, you know, I love to travel. Um, I think it was a natural, um, you know, this natural passion that just started to be born with me of, hey, we are, we are all very diverse and different humans, but um, at the end of the day, we have some very tightly knit similarities that can bind us and connect us together. Yeah, love that, love that. Um, and from a professional then point of view, when did that start to become a part of your sort of professional life? When was you able to get your teeth into some kind of cool stuff culturally? Well, you know, I think from a professional perspective, where it really started to light my fire was experiences that were bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I, I, I've had some experiences in my career where the culture was toxic, where, you know, it was competitive to a point where it was um, stifling, right? Um, and I think that that really turned my focus back to from a passion as a young age of understanding all things that are different to there's got to be a different way. There's got to be a way, you know, we spend more of our day, more of our time in life at work. Yeah. And I, I genuinely believe there's got to be a better way to bring joy to that time. So it can be not just enriching to help the business, you know, be more profitable or have higher performance, but also just be enriching to your life. Um, so I think for me, like practically speaking, working with some of the more entrepreneurial businesses, I was doing some consulting is really when I started to cut my teeth in, okay, you know, how do we, how do we identify what behaviors in the workplace lead to success? And from there, I think it's just become deeper and deeper into more of the joy aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And so a difficult question, maybe, or maybe not. Um, but how, how do you define organizational culture? Can, can you can you define it? I think a lot of people uh, do this. I think a lot of people try to do this. I think there's some similarities and some differences. But for me, I think it all comes back. I I, I personally don't believe you have to have a very fancy, you know, uh, flashy definition for organizational culture. I think culture is culture. Uh, you know, whether or not you are gathering as a group at work, or if you're gathering a group, you know, um, in your community, whatever it might be, a culture to me is culture. And so for me, <clears throat> excuse me, that comes down to, you know, what are those, what are those routines? What are those practices? What are those, um, you know, what are those things that this group does in a way that creates a way of life? Um, I know that's broad and probably a lot of people will roll their eyes when they see that, but I think it's very true. I, I genuinely don't believe that you have to get really fancy at it. It's a matter of, you know, what are those things, those norms that we create, those behaviors that we practice that creates a way of life for a group of people. Yeah. Yeah. And moving on to something culturally related specific to the data center industry, you've obviously been a part of many other industries and, and larger organizations, smaller startups. How 
how, what's, what culturally is different about the data center industry, if, if anything at all, or there's an element of culture that's more important to, to, to the industry specifically? That's a great question. I, I personally don't know if there is anything that is dramatically unique, but I do think that there are some things that are incredibly important. The data center industry is fascinating to me. Um, I, I genuinely love being in this space. I, you know, personally, it's just that the combination of serving the world's largest technology providers, you know, um, and just what we create is incredible. Uh, the, the, the engineering behind it is incredible to me. Um, I think what's incredibly important, though, about culture and the data center industry is a lot of folks, when they think about data, they don't think about the mission critical buildings, right? And the infrastructure, that's not what we think about. Most people, when they think about the cloud, they, they point upwards, right? <laughs> um, so it's almost like this giant industry that nobody knows anything about in some respects, unless you're in it. If you're in it, then you're in it. And everyone, you know, it's, it's a very passionate industry, I think. But I think what goes unrecognized is that there is incredible responsibility for those who are in the data center industry in a lot of respects, everything from sustainability to, um, you know, um, being able to be reliable and accountable. There's just these incredible um, thinking about from, from a future perspective and environmental impacts and things of that nature. And I, and I know that within the data center world, that is acutely aware, but outside, you know, it's broad, broader society. I don't think that people see that. Um, so to that extent, from a culture perspective, I think there are two things that become really critical. I think one is uh, practicing humility, yeah. right? I think about um, two examples. One is, you know, we build these giant buildings, these, these, this infrastructure that is measured in megawatts of power that have their own substations. This is incredible stuff, right, that we're doing. And I think it's very easy for someone to come in and just say, look what I've created, you know, um, and let that ego slip in. And when the ego slips in, the thing I fear about that is that our pride and our ego, um, doesn't want us to innovate. It doesn't want us to collaborate. It doesn't want us to be humble to say, how can we do this differently? Um, and, I, and I think with the immense amount of responsibility we have, both now and in the future, this becomes very critical. And I think second to that, and I think it goes hand in hand, is genuine curiosity. Um, because at least in my mind, the data center world is not as well known in terms of the impact and, and responsibility. Um, I think it's easy for folks to kind of sit back and say, oh, this is just the way that we've always done it, or that's the way the building's always been designed, or this is the way that you know the POEs have always worked, uh, and not genuinely be curious. And I think that it is absolutely critical for this industry to stay immensely curious so we can be you know, on the bleeding edge for sustainability and uh, um, and being able to, you know, continue to keep up with the growth. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the reasons I, I started the podcast is we I've had conversations with so many people who fell into the industry. They don't know about it. They know what the cloud is. They don't know what what's behind it, and they think it's up there and not in a in a desert in Phoenix or Virginia or whatever. But um, 
what you just said there leads me on to, to to the next point specifically about compass because when I'm fortunate enough to know a little bit I'm a bit more close to the action than maybe a lot of the listeners but I think those that are in the industry will would definitely know of compass of having strong culture and strong values but when you visit your site you you talk about core convictions don't you uh, and it doesn't okay. take you long to fall across the core convictions can you talk us through what they what they are and what they essentially mean to to the business yeah absolutely so i think first and foremost convictions <laughs> this uh this often gets some eyebrows raised for for us i think right cuz most not just even the industry, but I think most organizations, when they talk about culture, it's usually values or it's, you know, here's our mission and our vision. And we are very adamant in convictions. Um, the difference is that with values, when you think about values, and they're and they're great, by the way, I would say 90%, maybe even more uh, organizations use values. But values are inspirational or aspirational. There are things like integrity or ethics or, you know, team collaboration or whatever it might be, like these really great words. And for us, the distinction is that we we look at things very incrementally in terms of how we think about our work, how we think about our progress, how we think about our innovation. And being aspirational doesn't get you what you need to be doing today. So we look at it from a convictions perspective. We look at it and say, if you break this, you're gonna feel it. It's gonna be the gut punch. You're gonna feel it, that heaviness in your chest because you know you broke it. Um, but our convictions are also very human-based, right? They're not, uh, I think from a values perspective, anyone can go on Google or chat GPT and say, you know, build me a culture based off of values and we like these things and it'll give you all the, you know, that list of things, but ours are very based off of the human condition. So if the first one, for example, and it's humility, it's humility in and pride out. This conviction flows through everything that we do. It flows through the other three core convictions. It flows into all of our key principles and our practices and our tools. But for us, this concept of humility in and pride out is you know, number one, we're always learning, right? Um, two is that we never say, hey, you should have done that or you shouldn't have done that. But we first look inward and we say, gosh, okay, what could I have done differently in this situation? Um, you know, what can we do to make this better, to make sure this doesn't happen again? Um, but it's this concept that we're not gonna show up with ego. We're gonna show up with humility because at the end of the day, it is impossible for anyone to know any one thing perfectly. It's impossible, right? We all have our own particular set of experiences and our personality styles. So we have to remain humble with the world around us. Um, our second one is actions and words are one. And I see this some, is something that shows up a lot in the data center world, right? Particularly in operations, it's all about actions and words are one. You're gonna do what you say you're gonna do. And I think that is critically important. But for us, we take it a little bit further. So with actions and words are one, we say, hey, we wanna be smart about making commitments because it takes humility to do that. From a psychology perspective, there's a lot of folks who fall into the trappings of people pleasing and not because you wanna hurt somebody, it's because you wanna help somebody. 
Um, this is my weakness. I, I'm a helper. I want to be able to, to help people. But um, when you get stuck into that people pleasing, what ends up happening is you fall down on your commitments, right? So we take the humble approach of saying, okay, I understand that this is something that you need. Let me get back to you tomorrow and when I can get back with you with an answer. I don't want to let you down, right? So it's really showing up from a humility perspective. Uh, the third is continuous improvement. And this is kind of where we get a little weird too. I'm sure that uh, you might have been there before. So when we talk about continuous improvement, you know, this is uh, other folks might consider it innovation, right? But we look at it as continuous improvement of people, processes, and systems. And we are adamant that it has to start with people first. And that's where the humility comes into play. That's, you know, when something goes wrong or there's an opportunity to improve something, you say, what could I have done differently? And then you share that with your team and then your and you say, hey, team, this is what I think I could have done differently. What do you think? And then they have an opportunity to be invited into that discussion. Well, yeah, we could have probably done that differently, too. But we're specific about starting there first before you think about how do you improve the process or how do you implement a new system? And I think most of the world at work likes to start with process and system first. It just feels better, right? You see yeah. the impact, you see the impact. Um, but we look at it and say, you've got to stay humble first and you have to stay really curious first. And then you can figure out what kind of process improvements you might need. Yeah. And then our, and then our last one is we ask why. And this is all again about genuine curiosity based in humility. This is not you know, why in the hell did you do that? That's not what we're talking about. This is a, hey, I don't have all the answers. I only have one lens. I, you know, I'm genuinely curious in what's happening here. You know, can you tell me more? Can you explain this? You know, we, we use a tool like the, the five whys. I think that's another popular one among engineering is really kind of getting into the why of things. But for us, it's not because we want to prove a point. It's not because we want to say, I told you so. It's because we are humbly saying, yeah, how can we do this differently? Yeah, no, it, I mean, I I know some of the answers to the question I'm about to ask you, but um, I think it's really insightful for the listeners. But how, how was there a process that you went through to land on on those core convictions in particular? Or how, how did you get to that point? Fortunate for me, they were born way before I got here. So I was very, I was very fortunate to be, uh, to be gifted with these, this, this beautiful strategy, but this came from Chris Crosby, our CEO. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, it's not something he, he just dreamed up. This is stuff that people have been talking about, philosophizing about, you know, from a humility perspective, gosh, this goes back to the dawn of time. Um, but it was certainly curated uh, by him. And I, I think he's got a really interesting story around it. You know, when he started Compass, this was this was uh, an important piece of the why behind he, him going out and starting Compass was to have an organizational culture that was going to be um, healthy and sustainable and in a lot of respects, help him as well, yeah. right? Be the guardrails for himself and I, I find that just to be uh, incredibly refreshing and, and stunning in some respects, right? That uh, a successful CEO could say, hey, before I go and do this, I need to make sure I have my own guardrails in place. Um, and I, I think that we really see that shining through here. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and so what, what, how much of a part does that play in your recruitment process? 
Oh, it's everything. <laughs> um, so we have, as you know, you guys have partnered with us on a number of positions. We have a pretty long recruiting process and culture is at the very center. So to give you a concept, anytime we start any new role, I personally will interview the candidates that we, you know, that we're really interested in only on culture. And that's it. I don't talk to them about their background, their experience, their skills. I'm only focusing on culture. And then we've got through our process, folks that will be doing the same. For us, this is a really critical piece for two reasons. One is, you know, of course, and I think everyone has felt this pain with recruitment in one way or another. Some people call it organizational fit, culture fit, whatever it might be. When a person doesn't fit, it's painful and it's painful both ways, right? Um, but the second piece is, is that for us, I think it goes a little bit further, which is um, we want people to find joy in the work that they do. And there's going to be some folks that just are not going to feel comfortable in our culture. We have a very vulnerable culture. We are very high on culture. We do a lot of learning and a lot of uh, training on culture. And some people are just not interested. And that is absolutely okay. That is absolutely okay. But we don't want to do them the disservice of getting, you know, getting into an organization and feeling incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. And I totally, I totally agree with that. And in terms of in terms of those core convictions, when when somebody does join, how how, how do you then like continue to to sort of I use the phrase bake those into the organization? So we have a culture program, a culture learning program. Um, so of course it starts with recruiting, right? Um, I think it's at this point, 95% of the folks who have joined Compass have cited that culture was the reason why they joined Compass. Um, so it starts there, but beyond that, you know, we do a lot of training multifaceted. So everything from, you know, videos that we have curated from brilliant minds like Brene Brown and Simon Sinek and um, Michael Stainer, like so a lot of just folks that are out there that are talking about vulnerability and talking about humility and, you know, Cy Wakeman, you know, no ego at work. So we've created a lot of stuff that we feel like fits our culture. We've created a lot of stuff on our own. So it's our speak, it's our language, it's our examples. How do we use Pareto in civil engineering, right? We talk about that. We do live learning once a month. Everyone in our organization is required to go through culture training, right? And we keep it fun. You know, we we like to have some fun with it. It's highly interactive. Um, and then I think the other two other pieces that are incredibly important are we have tools that people use every day in their job that are based in our culture. And I think that's pretty unique. Um, and then the final piece is the accountability. Right. Um, this is not just a top down accountability that is absolutely part of it, but this is also team members. We, we, we've built tools. We have built an environment where folks can hold each other accountable. We, we use the term calling each other up because it's not calling each other out really humility. If you think about humility, it's, it's something that it is meant to be broken. It's a human condition. There's going to be days when we show up and we're going to be, you know, on our game. We're going to be collaborative. We're going to be thoughtful, self-reflective. And then there's going to be days, you know, where we spent half the night because our kid was sick and we're going to show up dragging our feet and 
probably being pretty grumpy or, or moody that day. And we're not going to be very good at humility. But we've created this environment where our culture is levelless. Anybody can call each other up at any time because they care about each other and they care about the team and they care about the work. And we want to cre keep creating an environment that fosters creativity and innovation. Yeah, absolutely. I, I found I really thought that question was important to give people an insight into we know lots of people talk about culture and values. I know core convictions for, for Compass, but I know that you guys invest so much time and effort and, and even into our relationship and understanding that cultural aspect as well, which is is rare. Lots of people talk about it. Um, not as many people actually invest or organizations invest as certainly as much time in as you do in your uh, for you guys but in terms of you, you hire very talented people technically talented people very gifted people um ha, but how much of the cultural aspect do you think um aids performance and, and creates the high performance aspect for for compass i don't want to be you know too bullish about it but i think it is significant uh i work with some brilliant people. Brilliant. I am humbled every day when I come here and I get to work with some of these folks. Um, and we're from all different walks of life and backgrounds. From a human condition perspective, sometimes it takes us so much time and effort to figure out, particularly when you have a lot of diversity, how to work with each other effectively. Um, so that you can continue to be innovative and you can continue to, to, you know, meet your goals and things of that nature. But I think by having common language, having really core, um, well, it's our core convictions, but these, these core ideals, if you will, of how we all show up that is kind of transcends diversity. It transcends gender. It transcends, you know, um, where you grew up, what your background is, what your experience is. I think that helps to eliminate that ambiguity and it allows people to more efficiently come together to be creative, to be collaborative. Uh, it, break down, it breaks down those walls, those silos, right? Um, I think oftentimes, and this is not, I don't think this is necessarily just the data center industry. I think it's any organization, but you get a lot of the, the finger pointing, you know, um, this, you know, uh, this particular piece of equipment was installed correctly because design screwed up the, you know, the, uh, the, the design work or, you know, no, it was construction because they didn't oversee the GC or whatever it might be, right? Like there's a lot of this. And in our environment, we, that's, we don't allow that. That's not part of, that's a, it's a conviction. It's a, uh, it breaks our core convictions to do this. The first thing you do is you do this. And you look inside. And I, I think that absolutely, it's it's not something so direct where people can say, oh yeah, absolutely, you do this and then you get this. It's the practice. It's that constantly showing up in a way for each other in the same way over and over again and practicing it. And it absolutely impacts our ability to do stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've been able to stay really small and do some incredible things. And it's all based, at the end of the day, our greatest successes and our greatest fails have all had culture underlining it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Do, do you think culture changed since the pandemic? And, you know, obviously it seems such a long time ago when 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 that was all happening, but 
you know, do, do you think culture has has changed within organisations? Maybe may applied to Compass, but just generally. I don't know if culture has necessarily changed from my definition, mm -hmm. but I think that the challenges around it are certainly um, unique. Yeah. And here's what I mean. I, at the end of the day, for me, like when I think about a healthy culture, it all comes back to people being connected. However you get, get around to doing that, it's about people being connected in a way where they feel uh, empowered, they feel safe to do their best work, to do to, and to bring joy to their lives personally and professionally. And I think the pandemic, when you really look back and kind of reflect on what happened, you know, we had a lot of loneliness. We had a lot of, you know, mental health issues went through the roof. And from my perspective, I think a lot of that has to do with being disconnected. I don't think that humans were created to be in isolation, right? When you think about how we, you know, how cr some criminals are punished, it's by putting them into isolation. If you look at examples from, you know, science of, you know, studying behaviors of animals, if you put them into isolation, they get sick. And so I think that that has definitely had an impact on organizations of keeping people connected. Um, and then I think there's the other side of it. A big concept that we're talking about or big talking point that a lot of people are talking about now is the return to work, right? And I've, I see so many articles coming out about this and, you know, the battling of return to work and a lot of organizations are really kind of uh, putting their foot down saying, yes, we're all coming back. From my view on this, I think that, again, it comes back to connectedness. For the folks who really value working from home um, and not being in the office, I think there's this challenge of not feeling as connected to their families. Because I think that's another challenge that the pandemic brought to us. It, in a, in a, in a, I think it was in a very good way. It, it kind of turned our world upside down and, and made us all realize how important it was to be more connected at home. And so now we've got this, uh, and I think it's healthy. I think it's healthy to have that internal struggle, struggle with connectedness. The challenge is, is how do you meet that on both sides? Yeah, yeah. I think from our side as a recruitment business, pre-pandemic culture was a very important aspect of why, certainly why people would leave the business um, and um, would be central to why people would join a business. And I think immediately afterwards, we almost found people weren't citing culture as much. It was almost how much, how much can I get from working from home? So I'm, I'm ma maximum income and maximum time, my family. I, I see that, that, that changing more now. I think more people do want to be around people. I, I think people understand that they don't develop as skills and, um, and as human beings, if they're not connected as much to, to those people. I mean, I think people want balance, but I certainly think, culture is certainly more of a having more of an impact and um i think people seem like they'll be returning to the office more and more across across many industries which i think is a positive thing i do think it's absolutely a thing. i i agree with you but i also think it's a tremendous opportunity for organizations and i'm i'm thankful that all of this is happening because i think it's shining a light on the responsibility that organizations have to create healthy cultures to create cultures where um, you don't have that toxic environment. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and to those folks credit who 
you know, as you kind of described, are just looking at how do I get the maximum return most time at work for most pay. My bet is I, I'd be curious to know how their experiences were. You know, did they have some really crappy experiences with organizations that didn't care about culture, that didn't care about that connection? Um, I think this is a tremendous opportunity for organizations to really uh, genuinely consider how they're how they're structuring their cultures and, and motivating people through it. Yeah, absolutely. Giving them a giving them a reason to come back as well, not just telling them to come back. You know, in an inspiring environment is 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 often uh, central to that. Hundred um, percent. Absolutely. Um, so, what exciting things have you got for twenty twenty three ahead at Compass on the culture front and just generally? Oh man, we've we've got a lot of exciting stuff happening. I can't disclose everything, but a lot of really fun continued growth. Um, it's really neat to see us bring on some great talent, uh, be able to get through some really fun strategic projects, uh, lo- lots of good stuff. On the culture front, I think one of the things I'm most excited about is shaping our culture programs for our leaders and really diving deep into supporting them on how to best not just live out our culture as leaders, but bring those other, you know, those next level leaders up with them. Um, Genuinely think that there's so much goodness to be for us to be able to pass along and create our next level of culture ambassadors. Um, For me right now, that's, that's our 2023, 2024, you know, big, hairy, audacious goal. Uh, We're going to get there. I'm sure you will. No doubt you will. Um, Now, before we go, there's a couple of questions I need to ask you. Um, now, the first is what what do you what do you like most about the digital infrastructure or the data center world, the industry? Yeah, you know, I kind of mentioned it earlier. I think for me, it's this concept of this giant industry that does these very important things that very many people in the world really don't know about. I, I think that's really neat. It's like, you know, some secret sauce behind you a little bit. I think that's really cool. I love seeing the innovation and the forward thinking around data centers. Um, I think that's a really, uh, a really neat part of the industry, particularly recently, where we've seen a lot of folks thinking about the sustainability side. How do we make the m- most use of the land that we're developing and being able to give back to society? I think that's really cool. I'm really thankful to be in the industry and continue to watch it grow and and really help our societies yeah absolutely there's so many interesting elements to the industry that um you know i look, i don't think for a minute the podcast is going to change this um but if if it just gives people a bit more of an insight or it in you know it can allow people to just like do some more digging and, and certainly also like the amount the industry probably needs to do to inspire the younger generation because the skill shortage is only going to get worse. Um, and the data industry should be an industry of choice for many people out there. So yeah. hundred percent. I think there's nothing but opportunity. Yeah, definitely. Um, now the last question, let's say you didn't get on the plane to go to Cairo and it didn't inspire you to be interested in all things culture. Um, you didn't take the sort of HR professional route. What would Anna Colton be doing uh, if you wasn't sat in that seat? You did mention engineering earlier, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> that's a fun question. I think that I would probably be maybe like a like a Amazon driver or FedEx driver for about six months. That would be fun. There's something about driving around neighborhoods with the door open and delivering packages that's very different from my day to day. I think my my son would think that was the coolest thing in the world. 
Um, yeah, you know, if I wasn't doing what I was doing, I, I would, I would hope that I would be doing something completely different, you know, maybe writing children's books and flipping houses. Yeah, that sounds cool. If you were a delivery driver for Amazon, you'd probably be coming to my house about five times a day. Yeah, the door <laughs> never stops ringing. Um, but I, I just wanted to say thank you so much for your insight. I, I genuinely, um, when I, when I started to put this together, I, I knew you had to do this uh, and come on because I've really enjoyed our conversations over the years, and I'm so pleased you said yes as well. So thank you, uh, thanks so much for for the insight and for participating. Oh, my pleasure. This was a lot of fun, Dale. Thanks for inviting me. No worries. Thanks so much. See you All soon. All right. See you later. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. Bye.